Good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't necessarily have to be soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is St. Andrew, is Andrew, St. Andrew, sorry about that, Andrew. (laughs) 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 Is Andrew Preuss from St. Paul in Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your question by email at any time to Let's Talk at KFUO.org or call into the program at any time. Here for the St. Louis area, that's 314-8210-850. Or toll-free anywhere in the lower 48 states at 800-730-2727. Well, we're all really saints, aren't we, Pastor? Yeah, yeah, we definitely are through Christ, through faith in Christ. I suppose you get my brother Mark and me mixed up because he's pastor of St. Andrews and in uh, Laramie, Wyoming. So, so maybe that was the, the there. You know, <laughs> that must have been it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I, I got to tell you, this has been one of those weeks. Just nothing has been going right. Although, you know, I woke up on the right side of the dirt, and God loves me so. It ain't all yeah. that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. You know, a lot of things have been going on in my mind. You know, I, I have a lot of problems, as does everyone else. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, you as a pastor, you don't you not only have the same problems that I have, but you've got some other problems as well. For example, what happens when you're given a call? What goes through your mind? Yeah, so we 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 had talked about talking about this before because 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 uh, it just so happens that I'm going through that right now, and a lot of pastors, um, most pastors, go through that sometime in their in their time as pastors. Uh, you know, you get you get placed to a congregation, usually right at a seminary, and uh, you know you don't have much of a choice there. Um, you know, you might be asked your preferences, but ultimately it's, you're just placed. And, uh, and then usually what happens within a few years or five or maybe even 10 or more is a, maybe another congregation, it extends to you a call. And so you gotta, you gotta deliberate on that. And so, but yeah, so the things that go through your mind, at least that should go through your mind are, uh, first of all, that, that, uh, what Jesus says, he says uh, that you should pray to the Lord of the harvest to provide laborers uh, to work in his harvest and to know that the Christ is the Lord of the harvest and, and it's not us. So, so you know, it's, it's a good time to reflect on what the ministry is, um, who it belongs to, and who is called to, uh, to, to carry it out publicly and, and how how those men are called to do that. So, you know, so what the ministry is, is it's the preaching of the word of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, um, and uh, who it belongs to. It belongs to every single Christian. Everyone baptized into Christ who has faith in Christ has the ministry of the word and has every right to hear the pure gospel 
from uh, from God's called servants. And then who are called? Well, those uh, certain men who are who who are uh, who are called by God to to shepherd his flock. And how are they called? Well, they're called through the church, and that is through the Word of God, as the church uses the Word to train men to be pastors, to uh, to determine, you know, what kind of men they need to be pastors, you know, to determine if they're faithful and all that. So, so those are kind of the first things that go through my mind. Um, you know, just to, it's very easy for a pastor to look at, to look at his, his uh, call as a pastor as just, as just kind of a day job. And even the most theological ones who are mindful of what the divine call is can, can easily fall into that kind of routine of, well, this is just my daily routine, my daily job, and I'm looking forward to just kind of taking a break at the end of the day or something like that. And, and so I think when you, at least in my experience, when you get a call uh, to another congregation, you realize that, you know, there are needs that the church has and that Christ has instituted his ministry uh, for, uh, for, for, for men who, who want to serve him and his church to... Uh, you know, to, to work in his, in his, uh, harvest field. And so it it kind of, it kind of hits you with the reality that this isn't just a day job, you know, that there are saints who, who do need to hear the word and they have every right to, uh, to have a pastor faithfully preaching it to them. And so it makes you kind of live outside yourself a little bit and realize that, you know, there are others who are in need as well. Well, you've been pastor at your uh, two congregations in uh, Iowa for some time now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, five years. So just over five years. Don't they? So, I mean, it's not 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 a whole, not a huge long length of time, but long enough to kind of get pretty well settled in. <laughs> yeah, I know what that's like. But you know, it's they they become very familiar with you and you with them, and mm-hmm. it, it's almost like leaving leaving a family if you have to change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my dad was, my dad's still a pastor and, uh, he's kind of coming, uh, coming close to retirement, uh, in the next year or so. Uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I remember growing up in a pastor's home and the, and, you know, w- what often happened was we would, we would keep in contact with certain members from previous congregations. And the way it kind of worked with us was my dad was actually a pastor in this town in northern Minnesota when I was a baby, and I was born there. And then he took a call down to Wisconsin, and I kind of spent my childhood uh, at, at, at that place. But then he got a call back to another church in that same town in northern Minnesota. <laughs> and okay. so when I, yeah, so when I was 10, all of a sudden we moved back to the town where I was born. Um, and, uh, and so there were people who we knew, my parents just knew from when he was a pastor before. And so it was just kind of an interesting dynamic there where he wasn't their pastor anymore, but we still had these good, we had, we kind of had these close family friends that we, uh, that we got, got together with. And, uh, you know, a couple of them in particular are, are now pastors, uh, in the Missouri Synod with me. And uh, my dad had served as their vacancy pastor when I was a little, a little kid, or maybe even before I was born. And 
so it's just kind of interesting how the relationships that are built uh, from a pastor, you know, they, they don't, you're not necessarily saying goodbye for good. And I think you, you, that congregations need to realize that about their pastors is that while they can't possibly have the same kind of relationship if he leaves, they also got to remember that he is a, a fellow redeemed, you know, saint. And while some of them are just naturally going to be closer than others, some will keep in contact more than others. A lot of times it has to do with, you know, having kids around the same age, you know, so this particular family who have two boys who are now in the ministry, um, you know, these boys are, are my brother's ages, you know, so, so it was kind of, so a lot of, a lot of that, those kind of relationships that you form, they might be, you know, they might end up being closer because there are, there are certain circumstances or maybe there's a babysitter or something. And so, I mean, I still, I still keep in contact with some babysitters that I had when I was a little kid, you know, when my dad was a pastor down in Wisconsin. And so, you know, it, it, it really just depends. Um, obviously, you know, not everyone's going to have that. You're not going to keep in contact with everyone, but, but, uh, you know, while it's not appropriate for a pastor to mingle in the affairs of the congregation after he leaves, it, it's also not inappropriate for saints in that church to keep in contact with them, you know, uh, and, and be, uh, as long as he's faithful and respects the pastor that, has uh, been entrusted to them again. And, uh, you know, uh, I know that my predecessor, my immediate predecessor has been beneficial to me. He's, you know, been available for me to call him. And, and, uh, you know, I think there is, if you have that healthy relationship, um, and, and, uh, honest relationship centered on the word of God and the gospel, um, you know, you, you can, you can be confident that you're not just, you're not just saying goodbye you know, for good, you're, there's still, there's always going to be somewhat of a connection there. And and maybe you could speak to that too, you know, with previous pastors, I'm sure that you have somewhat of a connection with, uh, with previous pastors, at least maybe Christmas letters or something like that. Oh yeah, I do. I, I do. Yeah. How, how does the, how does this call work? I mean, as, as we mentioned, you've been with your congregations now for about five years. Uh, mm-hmm. Does this call come from the Senate directly to you, or do you put yourself into a pool? How does it work? I have no idea. Well, it can work in different ways, uh, you know, as far as all of the all of the ins and outs go. Sometimes a pastor can, for whatever reason, ask perhaps his district president to to put him to circulate his name. And so usually district presidents will will provide a, a vacant congregation with uh, with a list of names of candidates uh, whom uh, from from whom they can choose. Other times congregations might do more of their own homework. Uh, I have I've received emails over the years from congregations who are looking for a pastor, and they might send me a little survey asking me a few questions and asking me if I would be uh, willing to let my name stand. And my policy is I've always said, yes, I'll let my name stand. That doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, I'm not committing to anything. Um, But, you know, I'm not going to prevent a congregation from, from going through the, the process of calling a pastor. And so really what the way it would work is 
a congregation would meet and uh, they would have a list of names. And usually they have some sort of list of, uh, of a uh, kind of a, kind of an information about the pastor. There's kind of, there's a couple different ones. There's one on his kind of personal information. And then there's another one on, on his sort of uh, theological standings on stuff and his, uh, you know, practical questions on how he would handle certain things. And so they kind of get an idea of what kind of pastor he would be. And so they look through these and they kind of narrow it down probably to a few guys. And then they vote on which guy they want to call. And then they, and they fill out a call document and they send it to him with all the information of kind of, you know, what the living condition would be at the, you know, or the living arrangements would be, what the salary benefits, all that kind of stuff. And so that, you know, they, they, uh, so that really it is through the way that our, our, uh, synod does it is that it is through the congregation that extends the call, but they do have the help of district or circuit pastors, uh, who, uh, who kind of, you know, assist them in that. Uh, so, so like, again, some congregations are going to be more, they're going to do more of their own homework. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe they, they want to just really make sure that they get a faithful guy. And so they're going to be diligent about, you know, sending out emails or listening to sermons, stuff like that. And, and that's, uh, I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I know that there's, uh, there are some congregations will do interviews and I know that, that, uh, most of my, my pastor friends are opposed to interviews and I agree with them in, if the interviews are just kind of like, how are you going to, uh, you know, how are you going to like bring in the youth and all, but you know, stuff that's not really theological stuff. That's not really, doesn't really have to do with preaching as much as it has to do with just kind of, you know, how are you going to make our church bigger? You know, that kind of, this is kind of often how people just think, you know, what are you going to do to make us succeed? And, and so these interviews can be kind of shallow, but I'm not opposed to the concept of having a, an interview asking the pastor theological questions and saying, you know, what's your position on closed communion, for example, you know, and can you explain what closed communion is? You know, can you explain why women can't be pastors? Can you explain what the, what the article of justification is? And do you believe it's a central article of the faith and why? You know, those kinds of things, if they had the assistance of another pastor to sit down with whatever candidate and ask him these basic questions and see how they how they answer and then determine from that, you know, whether they want to call them. I, I think that's perfectly appropriate. And I know that some congregations do something similar to that. Like I said, I've received emails from people asking me questions and, and they're good questions. And I, I appreciate that they do that. And I wish them the best um, and pray that God provides them with a faithful pastor. But so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's different ways that the congregation can go about it, but ultimately at the end, the congregation votes on a name and then they send them a call document with a bunch of other information. And then he has, a certain amount of time to kind of deliberate on it and decide. So, well, I would assume, and maybe this is my naivete speaking, uh, but any pastor who has gone through uh, the St. Louis Seminary or Fort Wayne certainly all have the same very basic theological training and in, in doctrine, don't they? Yeah, they should. Um, I mean, that's that's what you should assume, and. 
it's uh, and putting the best construction on it, you you know you shouldn't be suspicious of people. Um, at the same time, the reality is that that's not always the case. You know, <laughs> there's uh, this is we, this is how it's been since the beginning of uh, since the since the beginning of time. You know, you you have people who, as Saint John says, you know, they went out from us, but they are not of us. You know, and 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 uh, and so I think it's a good idea for for there to be a constant uh, kind of examination of pastors, uh, you know, and, and I include myself in that. I want to be, I want to be kept, kept on my, on my game, you know, and, and, uh, and if there is, uh, if, so if, if I get a call to a congregation and they don't, they just kind of say, oh, well, he's Missouri Synod, so he must be good. Well, okay. Well, that, you know, you shouldn't just trust in, the, the fact that he passed his classes, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago, you know, sit and talk with him, maybe meet with another pastor. This is what Walter, CFW Walter would advise is that a congregation should meet with a neighboring pastor. If they don't have, if they don't already have another pastor in their congregation already, meet with a neighboring pastor who, who, whom they trust and know to be faithful and sit down with them and, and try to, you know, and, and, uh, and go through this, go through the doctrine of, of what the ministry is, what the call is and what, what, what they should expect from their pastor and, and ask these kinds of things to these pastors uh, and, and not just say, Oh, well, it's it, not treat it like it's a factory um, because, you know, we're human and people can, people get lazy, you know, they get, they, I mean, you know, this even from confirmation class, right? Um, you memorized the small catechism when you were oh, sure. when you were catechist, right? So, oh, yeah. all right, your senior year of high school, your your freshman year of college. Let's just go to let's just go to the, the, your freshman year of college or when, you know, your senior year of college. If I were to ask you, could you recite to me the first article of the creed and its meaning? Could you have done it? No. See, there you go. So, just because you graduated from catechism class or you graduated from seminary doesn't mean that, and, and five, ten years ago, doesn't mean that you are prepared now to to uh, to confess or to teach or, or whatever. And so that's why these are good ideas. <laughs> it's just a reality that pastors, like any other human beings, can get off their game. And it's uh, so I think it, one of the benefits of receiving a call to a congregation, whether you take it or not, is it really revitalizes the pastor to reconsider, you know, just kind of revisit what it means to be a pastor and what it is that he's teaching and the value of what he's teaching. Because, you know, another thing to mention is that it's easy to get jaded and, and discouraged and just to think of, uh, well, what's the point? What's the point of all this? Um, you know, so many people don't come to church and they, they, you, you get them to come to church and then they fall off the wagon again. You confirm people, you baptize and confirm people, and then they fall away. You know, it's just, it, it can get really discouraging. And I think that's why a lot of pastors are tempted to kind of turn the ministry into sort of a CEO kind of thing where they're just sort of administrating and, 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 and uh, running programs and, and stuff like that. And the value of the teaching, preaching, the catechizing, the absolving of sins, the administration of the Lord's Supper becomes almost like a ritualism that just sort of loses its loses its significance. And when you when you have a, you have sheep 
of the Good Shepherd in another place than reaching out their hand and asking you to be their pastor. Then you really see the need. You know, you, it kind of renews in you the, the, the importance of that need. And then you see it in your own congregation. And you see the people who actually do need this word and, and really do thirst for the word, despite many who just kind of don't seem to care. And so, so again, go, kind of going back to, to my point about, you know, whether we can take for granted that people are people in the Missouri Senate are going to be faithful. Well, well, we can't, we can't take that. We can't take for granted that we ourselves are going to, we got to live in daily repentance. And that's why we are accountable. We're all accountable to, to God and to his word. And therefore we're, we're accountable to one another because the word of God belongs to every Christian. The keys, the ministry belongs to every Christian. Just because every Christian isn't a minister doesn't mean that every Christian uh, doesn't uh, have the ministry as his birthright. And that's, that's the point is that every Christian has the ministry of the word. He is, he has the keys to heaven and he therefore has the, the right and the duty to hold his pastor uh, accountable to that word. And, and we should expect to be held accountable to that word on a regular basis, whether it's when we receive a call or it's just going to a winkle, you know, or having our circuit visitor visit us or, or another brother pastor visit us or someone come into our office and ask a, ask a theological question or something, you know, put us, keep us on our toes. And it's important. It's very important to continue to do that with our pastors and not just treat them like they're the experts who went to, who went to seminary and they therefore know what they're talking about. You know, then we, then what we end up developing is sort of a clerical class that is just, that is separated from, from kind of the, the laity. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be one body uh, standing on the same truth. That's an interesting point. I, I often wondered if there should perhaps be a little bit of distance between the pastor and his congregation, or if if they could actually become friends. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've thought about that a lot too. I know that. Uh, there, there is, there's, there's, there's wisdom in, in, in keeping a little bit of distance, not in a, not in the sense where you are not willing to talk to people uh, unless they are super formal with you, um, but, but that you, but that they recognize who you are, that you're, you're not just their buddy who's there to just kind of affirm them. Um, but on the other hand, if, if you're, pa- if you want a friend, um, if you want your friend to be someone who's going to always be there to speak the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear and to speak it in love and, uh, and to admonish you and to, to comfort you when you need to be comforted, there's no better friend uh, than uh, than a faithful pastor who's actually going to do that kind of stuff. So, I mean, if your idea of a friend is someone who's just always going to agree with you and affirm you in what you already believe and is never going to make you feel bad, um, well, then it's probably a bad idea that your pastor be your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a couple of thoughts on that, and I want to explore it a little bit further, but we've got to take a break now at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to get into some more. This is really getting interesting.
Gary Duncan, the executive director of Worldwide KFUO, reminding you that our Rally Week begins September 9th. What is Rally Week? Well, it's a week we set aside each year to raise additional gifts needed to help us fund this broadcast ministry. See, during the summertime, we receive fewer gifts because of the very busy schedule of you, our listeners and donors. It's a way for us to rally back from those summer months. Also, Rally Week is the perfect time for us to announce our newest programming and partnership programs. Would you please prayerfully consider becoming a first-time giver or a new day sponsor or add to your previous giving? Remember, Rally Week begins September 9th. And if you're a church, organization, or have the means to help us start off Rally Week with a large gift, please consider becoming a champion. That's at the $10,000 level or a medalist at the $5,000 level. We also have additional pre-Rally Week levels as well. So feel free to call me at area code 314-996-1511. Or you can email me at gduncan at kfuo.org. Thank you for your support. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft, Missouri Secretary of State. If you've been approached about an investment opportunity or think you're being pressured to invest, call our Investor Protection Hotline at 800-721-7996. Our Securities Division is here to help. Don't write the check before you check. Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State Securities Division, Investor Education and Protection Fund. More than 3,000 years ago, the book of Leviticus described gleaning as a way to effectively feed the poor. Farmers were instructed to leave behind a small part of their harvest on the edge of their field or vineyard for the hungry to glean. John Van Hengel, a volunteer in a Phoenix soup kitchen, brought that idea to life in America. He noticed fruit left unpicked on suburban backyard trees and recruited volunteers to glean that remaining harvest and distribute the fruit through local churches. That led Van Hengel to pursue other sources of surplus food and launched the nation's first food bank in 1967. On this National Food Bank Day, we honor the work and compassion of all food bank volunteers. Engage with the Bible, the book that influences every sphere of life. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. And my, my guest pastor today is Andrew Preuss from up in Iowa. And we are discussing special problems that the pastor has, and sometimes the congregation as well. But, you know, pastors have a completely different set of, of problems. They have our problems as well, but then they've got their own problems, and that's things that you and I perhaps don't go through. So if you want to join the conversation, you can do it. You can email us at letstalk at kfuo.org, or you can call us if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. That's 314-821-0850. Or in the lower 48, toll free, you can do it at at 1-800-730-2727. So, Pastor uh, Pastor Porus, let's get on a little bit more about this friendship idea. Um, mm-hmm. To me, you know, that's like 
somebody I want to hang out with after work, you know, have a couple of beers, maybe watch a couple of games, you know, things like that. Um, And I'm a little bit uncomfortable in thinking of my pastor in that particular way. Is that wrong? Mm -hmm. This is what I mean by the distance. And is that wrong? Uh, I I mean, I don't think necessarily. I mean, it just depends. I mean, if you don't want to hang out with your pastor because you're because you 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 don't want to because you want to hang out with people who are not pious and stuff like that you know well then i guess that's wrong but i mean if you're just i mean the the fact of the matter is that the the pastor is a, is a human being like anyone else he's got his own personality like like anyone else and he's going to he's going to naturally get along with certain people uh, more easy, you know, more easily than others, and that, and that's and that's and that's a challenge that he's just got to he's got to deal with because that means that he's got to put a, an extra effort then in those who maybe he doesn't have as much in common with, who aren't as uh, maybe aren't as friendly with him, or he just doesn't really is not as uh, close to. Uh, he's got to make sure that he's that that he goes out of his way to talk to those people and, you know, and, and, and not just talk to the people who he enjoys talking to. And so, but, but, you know, getting back to your, to your question about, you know, is that, uh, is it wrong to not want to go hang out with your pastor after you're done with work? No, I don't, I don't think so at all. In fact, I think that can be really healthy, uh, for the most part. If you, if you, if you are seeing your pastor as the one to whom you go to receive uh, instruction in the Word of God, uh, counsel and support and uh, admonition and comfort and all that, then then it's a good idea to to have a little bit of a distance. And even if you are, even if you do enjoy hanging out with your pastor, um, you know, you still want to, you still want to have a little bit of distance <clears throat> just uh, to recognize who he is. You know that he's not just he's not just your buddy. Um, you know you could go you could go take him take him hunting or fishing or 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 even out for a beer. You know and and give him some encouragement just or just talk to him, listen and and enjoy his conversation. And that's all fine. That's all good. Um, but but to have a distance, uh, not a not in a distance of a kind of a cold way, but a but but recognizing that he. He's there to that he's there to, to to counsel you and to be you know a shepherd. Uh, as long as you have that attitude, then I think there's a lot of freedom in all of it. And uh, and I, I I'm just I don't I don't I, I really don't know if I like the idea of trying to make a hard and fast rule on how much you should hang out with your pastor. Um, because on the one hand, you can you can you can you know make it sort of uh you can turn the pastor into your into just into just your buddy but on the other hand then I, it's not good to discourage people from being able to go and talk to their pastor and 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 your pastor really should be someone who you can talk to and not have to not have to be walking on eggshells when you talk to him and be able to talk to him without Worrying about not saying the right thing and understanding that he's going to receive, he's going to re- he's he's going to treat everything you say with with grace and 
and with gentleness, just as he would want to be treated. And because uh, the pastor is there as, as, as an under-shepherd of Christ caring for his flock, but he's also there as an example to the flock um, in, in godliness and faith. And, and so that, that, for that reason, it, it is a good thing to try to spend some time with your pastor and get used to being able to talk to him. And again, like I said, it might be, it might be easier for some people to talk to their pastor than others. And, uh, uh, but, but, but we gotta, we just gotta make sure that we're treating them as our pastor, which doesn't mean that we're treating them as some employer. We're not treating them as, as some just boss who bosses us around. Um, we're also not treating them like a buddy, you know, it's something, it's a, it's a unique it's a unique uh, kind of relationship, and it's sort of, it's sort of like a father, you know. Ah. Paul talks, Paul talks, or uh, Luther talks about the three kinds of fathers in the fourth commandment. And one of them he talks about a spiritual father, and and you know that might seem a little awkward for someone who's much older, you know, for a guy who's coming out of seminary and he's in his twenties, you know. Then you got some seventy-year-old person who's like, well, this kid is old enough; he's young enough to be my grandson, you know. And and uh, uh, you know th- this. This is uh, that might seem a bit awkward that image, but but to compare it to a father, uh, my dad was never my friend. You know, he wasn't my buddy. He was my dad. But as I've gotten older, and now we're in the same line of work, <clears throat> so to speak, he has become my friend. You know, and he's still my dad. And I'm not going to talk to him in the exact same way I talk to my brothers, just be, to, in a similar way that. My older brothers, while they're not, you know, they're not above me anymore. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you're my the older brother. I've got an older brother. I know what that's like. Oh yeah, I got, I have seven of them. So you know, it's, uh, I and, and they're still my older brothers, and and yet I I learned from them to show respect to my younger siblings as they show respect to me, and so you know that there's respect on all sides, and the standing that exists there is something that it's necessary. It's going to be there, whether we're talking about fathers and sons or older siblings and younger siblings or pastors and their people or, or just older men and, and younger men or older women, and younger women. I mean, these kinds of, these kinds of uh, orders uh, and standings are, are going to be there and we shouldn't ignore them. Uh, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't be disrespectful toward that. You know, we should. Paul sa- Paul says to respect the the those who who are older. You know, to treat older women as mothers. You know, and he says that to Timothy, who's a pastor, and has authority. You know, over this congregation, and yet he used to treat these older women as mothers. And and, and so there, so this it, it gets back to the point that Jesus makes about you know anyone who would want to be a master, let him become servant of all. Anyone who thinks himself is the greatest, he must deny himself, you know? And, and that's the, so, so we don't, we can, we can kind of try to, uh, turn this into our own, we can, we can try to, we can try to solve the problem of a harsh relationship and an intimidating pastor by pretending that there are, that there is no stigma of that, that there, the pretending that there is no rank that there is no, you know, reverence that should be afforded to someone in authority. Um, but on, and, and that's not going to do any good because it's just going to breed chaos and selfishness uh, and, and foolishness, and no one's going to be edified by it. 
But on the other hand, when we do acknowledge these standings that exist, um, you know, between a pastor and his people, just like we acknowledge it in the family and even in society, as Christians, we recognize that our vocation, first and foremost, is as a Christian. And that goes with pastors and the people together. And, and that means that we bear one another's burdens um, and that we, that we exalt one another, that we, that we treat one another as, uh, as fellow redeemed um, and as, as royal priesthood. And, and so, you know, the, the pastor should be afforded respect. And those who disrespect their pastors, they're going to they're gonna have to answer to God for that, you know? But that, that, that doesn't mean that you should be afraid of your pastor and, and, uh, and that you should look at him as so distant that you can never approach him but you should be able to talk to him and, and over time, you know, be comfortable with him precisely because you know that he's going to be faithful to the word of God. And so, so, you know, if, if you're, if you're, I was always comfortable talking to pastors uh, growing up, um, partly, probably because my dad was a pastor and I was kind of familiar with pastors, but, but also, because I was taught that a pastor is there to preach the word of God. And that word of God is given to you as a Christian. And, and so if you love and cherish that word of God, you take comfort in that word of God, well, then you're not going to, you're, you're going to have an easier time going and going up to a pastor and talking to him, even though you still respect him as a man of God. You know, you, you said something that really struck me um, about your father. Uh, my, my dad and I were actually in the same business. My, my father, we were both trained as journalists. Dad was broadcast journalist. I was broadcast, am a broadcast journalist. Hmm. Yeah. And it actually followed the same way. I mean, dad was my mentor, uh, in many ways. He was the person I wanted to model myself after. Uh, I certainly consulted with him on, uh, on professional matters. But mm-hmm. he was never my friend per se. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you, he can't be either. If he's your friend, then you're not going to learn anything from him. I mean, you, you. That's not to say you can't learn anything from your friends. But if if you don't get the station right, then you're being run by your own desires rather than by what God has established. So. So if you don't acknowledge that your dad is your is first and foremost your father, um, then you're not going to be able to to really understand what it means for him to be your friend, um, because you're trying to manipulate it kind of according to your own desires, and that's what so many parents do, where they just treat their children as their friends rather than as their as as their children, and the result is that they can't really truly be their friend. But if you treat them as your children and you give them the respect as children, just as they should give you respect as, as a father, um, well, then then it will grow into a friendship, a unique kind of friendship. And so this gets, this gets to the most important uh, vocation, and that is the vocation of the brother or sister in Christ. If you, if you don't treat your fellow Christians, no matter what rank they are under you and whatever kind of station, if you don't treat them first and foremost as brothers and sisters in Christ, well, then whatever other kind of relationship you want with them is going to be in vain. It's going to be just tainted and corrupted and driven by pride and self-interest rather than by fear, love, and trust in God and love for the neighbor. 
So, I mean, that should apply to every, and so this is, you know, going back to the relationship between the pastor and the people, they should see, they should see each other first as fellow Christians under the Lord Christ. And then from that, you're going to have great respect on both sides. And, uh, but if you see, if if they see the pastor first as just this, bare authority figure without that's not really grounded in the gospel um, and the care of their good shepherd, well, then they're going to see there's just a power struggle that needs to be tamed by some sort of, you know, reigning in of his authority or reigning in of the pastor, and it's, it's just not going to go well. And so, you know, you get those who want to emphasize the pastor's authority then those who want to emphasize the people's authority, and it's like, well, you're both wrong. You know, how about you just all repent under the, under, the, under the authority of Christ and his word? And if you do that, then you're going to find that you, that, you will, that you will have the utmost respect and regard for faithful pastors who preach that word faithfully. And, uh, and they will have great joy and respect for the sheep who hear it faithfully and keep it. Well, also, I think you as a father... You have mm-hmm. children. Yeah. To be a good father, you cannot be a friend to your children. No, no. No, you can't. I mean, you can... And like I said, you know, in, at, the, at the end of the day, when they're older, you, there is a unique kind of friendship that, that, that develops. But you're right. You can't be a friend to them when you're raising them. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're... you're that you're a, a jerk to them. Obviously, it just means that you that you you treat them as as your children, and who need your discipline and your guidance and and your sympathy and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, but if you try to first be their friend, well, then you're going to lose you're going to lose the the real friendship that that would would have developed later in life. And so, you know, my dad would always say that that. Uh, if you want your children to respect you, you got to respect them too. Obviously, you don't respect them in the same way that, that they respect you because they're in a different station. You know, uh, if the, the children respect their father by asking him if they can go out before they go out. <laughs> Dad doesn't have to ask his children that, right? Yeah, right. But but the father respects his children by by uh, you know encouraging them and. And, uh, and, 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 and teaching them and being there for them and, uh, and just showing them with, with respect and not just treating them like they're brainless who can't ever, you know, uh, uh, develop their thoughts and be renewed in their minds, you know. And so, so there needs to be respect on both sides. And uh, the station that's there that's for the sake of order, where there are some people with more authority than others, well, that's, those things are necessary in this world, and they're gifts of God. But if we first, if we, if, if, we, if we try to understand those orders and those authorities or vocations, whatever we call them, stations in life, apart from the law of love, love your neighbor as yourself, which is modeled after Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, you know, and apart from faith, which we all share in the, in the common in, in the common gospel given to all of us, or the sacred gospel given to all of us, uh, well, then we're gonna we're gonna mess it all up, and we're gonna treat all these ranks as things that need to be overcome. 
And we see that happening in the world where authority is seen as a threat, right? It's seen as something that needs to be, it's a boundary that needs to be broken. And, uh, and so how do you do, what do you, what do you do? Well, you fight it with more power and more manipulation and more worldly kind of, uh, craft. Um, but if we humble ourselves before God and his word and rejoice in the gospel and learn from him, take his yoke upon us, well, then we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, uh, get so bogged down by the, 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 the difference in authority between the pastor and, 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 and the people we're going to respect and give honor to all men according to their station. And then we're going to, we're going to live together under the gospel. And so, I mean, that sounds, maybe that sounds easier than it really is. It's it's obviously a very difficult thing (laughs) because we're sinful human beings. Well, again, you as, as a pastor and your father with your children, do you take some of the things that you have learned being a father to your role as a pastor to a congregation? Yeah, uh, I think, I think I do. I guess I never really sit down and, 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 and compare it all that much, except for once in a while in a casual conversation, I might, you know, kind of thinking out loud about it. Uh, but yeah, I would say so. There, there's, uh, as a father, I, I, uh, I learn that I have a duty toward my family and, and it's, uh, you know, my children depend on me. And, and so as a pastor, I need to, you know, on the one hand, I can't be driven by pride where I think that I'm just God's gift to humanity. But at the same time, uh, I need to be driven by, by duty uh, toward God and, uh, and, and, and the station that he's placed me in. And, and as a father, you definitely learn that because, you know, when your children are, are sick, uh, when, when your wife is overwhelmed with one kid who's, you know, crying and another kid whose diaper needs to be changed, you know, you learn duty, you learn sacrifice. And, and so, yeah, absolutely, I think, in, you know, not in, in the exact same ways necessarily, but it certainly does teach me the, 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 that, that there are people who, who need uh, the good works that God has given me to do, whether I'm a father or a pastor or, or uh, whatever station in life. Boy, I'm glad I don't have your responsibilities. I really do. I, I don't know how I could handle it. I, I have <laughs> a crazy... Well, I, I, can't, I can't handle it either. That's my secret, too. Uh, <laughs> it's all by the grace of God. Well, you know, there's the old saying, God never gets us more than we can handle. There are some times I wish he didn't have quite so much faith in me to handle these things. But <laughs> Well, he, that's the thing, though, is he does give you more than you can handle. That, that, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't let you be tempted more than, more, more than you can handle because he provides Christ for you to escape from temptation. But he definitely gives you more than you can handle all the time. That's why you get driven to your knees and learn to rely on his word and not yourself. I understand that. This week's been one of those, believe me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been a crazy one. But spe- <laughs> I can kind of tell uh, <laughs> with our correspondence online. That was uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to let the audience in on that, one of the things I have to do is schedule all the pastors for like two months of the program. And I have had to make what is it three or four corrections now? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe that. I mean. <laughs> 
I <laughs> never do that. You know, I, I'm usually pretty organized, and I get things laid out. Pastor here, pastor there, pastor there. And it just well, didn't it, happen this time. <laughs> it was probably my fault because I I didn't get back to you for probably a week or two when you after you sent it out. So maybe that just flustered you a bit. Oh, I'd love to blame it on you, believe me, but I can't. It was all my fault. I don't know what oh, was okay. going on with my mind. I've lost it somewhere. But, yeah, oh well. But, that's life. <laughs> unfortunately, you're quite correct. It is, but you know, it's a beautiful thing nonetheless. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. Speaking of being here and being there, now you are going to be having to make a choice, I guess, in the very near future about your mm -hmm. about your calling. What thoughts are going through your mind right now about that? Well, um, like I said, you know, the needs of both congregations, uh, there's, uh, the, 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 I guess, one of the thoughts that has been on my mind, uh, well, one of them would be the opportunities of going to a new place and, and uh and the and the things that that I could do there as a pastor, and you know when a congregation's calling a pastor, there's always excitement you know and eagerness you know to uh to go on a new kind of a new chapter um and so that's always kind of exciting but uh but when I consider the congregations that I'm currently serving, I think about you know especially certain people who have been through a lot and uh and are going through a lot right now. One in particular, there's a family of five children who their third oldest, who I baptized my, like my first year as a pastor, uh, has, uh, has cancer. He's, you know, a four year old boy and oh, gee. he's you know, really going through a hard time. And he's really, I mean, the kids, the kids just kind of his same old self, you know, he'll throw up due to the, 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 you know, the treatment, but then he'll, He'll uh, just go right back to being, to being good old Eli, you know. And he, and he, and and the parents are, you know, it's they're going through a hard time, and um, and I know they, I, they really need a pastor, and uh, I know that I'm not, I'm not the Lord of the Harvest, right? So uh, they don't need me per se, right? But at the same time, you know, I have to consider the fact that. I have been their pastor for the last five years and that, you know, I've, I've been with them through these and other struggles. Uh, and you know, I, I gotta consider that I gotta consider and really pray for wisdom on what to do, uh, uh, with respect to their needs and their situations. So, um, and then, you know, there are other issues too, you know, the, the, we got kind of a small, small base, but solid base of, uh, of families that, you know, just really need some good support. Now, on the other hand, maybe I'm not the one who needs to give that to them. You know, another guy could come in and do do a faithful job. So those are the things, especially that um, that uh, you know, that really weigh on my mind a lot. You know, the specific needs and crosses that people are going through right now. What about your own family? You're married. You have a wife. You have children. <laughs> To, mm -hmm. to take another calling is going to be an upheaval in their lives. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, there's always that too. You know, we have our friends here uh, who we have, uh, we actually homeschool our kids, uh, which makes it easier actually when it comes to moving. But at the same time, um, you know, we have other families who are, 
pastor families in the area who homeschool their kids, and we've kind of developed a, a nice uh, a nice program with them once a once a week where we get together and the pastors study the text in the Greek together, and uh, and then the children, uh, you know, kind of get to hang out, and then we we're going to be teaching them other subjects, you know. And that sounds really exciting, too. And, you know, we have a good thing developing there that has sort of developed over the last four years. And so you see these things kind of starting to blossom, you know. And then if I were to leave, least I don't think these things would fall true, but it would just, you know, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't blossom. I don't know if they, maybe it would slow them down a bit or who knows. Um, and so, you know, and, and just the friends that we have and the, uh, that's that's always hard, um, but you know. Also, my family's pretty young, and my oldest is only eight. He'll be nine in a in a, a little over a month, and you know I, that's not a huge huge deal for kids to move that young. Yeah, so. you know we we one of the things we say on broadcasting is that we're white collar migrant workers, and. Uh, my yeah, family, yeah. yeah, my family moved around a lot. You know, Dad followed the jobs. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did, too. And uh, it mm-hmm. is not all that easy on family, even even at that age, yeah. I've got to tell you. Well, Pastor, yeah, we're, right. we're coming into the last minute. Any final thoughts now? Well, just uh, trust in the Lord of the harvest to provide laborers in, in his harvest and uh, know that God has, God has uh, elected you in Christ, and he will see to it that you reach salvation. Uh, if you abide in his word, um, then, uh, you know, the, the truth will set you free. So, you know, this is, we got to make lots of decisions in life and consider our, our callings, um, stations in life. But uh, we're all under the same Lord uh, and under the same cross and gospel and grace of God. So that that makes it worth worth bearing whatever difficulties are along the way. That's absolutely true. And to remember that we are saved. God gave his own son for us. There's nothing else that we could ask for. Everything we want mm-hmm. is right there. So I want Amen. to thank you again for being uh, for being in the guest on this program. Now, this has been a fabulous one. Thanks so much for your help, Pastor. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor.